So we look at our hero, Josiah, this king of Judah, in about the 7th century B.C., we look at him one more time, and so we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 23. That's in our Old Testament, so it's going to be towards the front part of your Bibles. You'll go to 2 Kings chapter 23, and that is the historical account of King Josiah and the Reformation, the renewal, the revival, the spiritual renewal that he led the nation in. And we're going to look at four attributes of that renewal and understand how we apply that into our lives so that we can be available for God to move and work, change our lives, and then change the lives of the people around us. Now, I don't want to make it overly complicated, but you're in 2 Kings chapter 23. But I also want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, which is in the New Testament. So you're going to go to the opposite end. It's almost towards the very end of the New Testament. And go to Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to look at verse 1 and 2. And the reason we're going to put these two scriptures in juxtaposition is we're going to look at the history in 2 Kings 23. But we're going to look at the precept, the principle in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. This is a great passage of Scripture. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is actually one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It, it guides me. It leads me through life. It's a reminder when I need encouragement. It's a reminder when I need correction. So Hebrews 12 does all of that for us. This is an excellent passage to memorize. We encourage you to memorize the scripture. My buddy Nathaniel, Nathaniel's with me this morning. Nathaniel's, I think, five years old, six years old, somewhere in that area. I'm getting a five back there. Nathaniel came up to me this morning as I got my annual or weekly um, Sunday hug from Nathaniel, and he said, Pastor James, my scripture verse is Psalms 119, verse 11. Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against God. That is the King James Version, not the Amy Grant Version, although she did make that song very popular back in, in the 1980s, which was kind of nice. We, we sang a song from my generation today, so I'm feeling pretty good. Um, just forget the countdown timer because I'm just going to preach till I get tired. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, this is a verse you want to memorize. This is the kind of the word of God we want to put in our hearts. And so we're going to do both. We're going to look at the principle and how we apply that in our life. And we're going to look at the history and what happened in Josiah's life. And so we're going both directions. Let me read Hebrews chapter 12, verse, verse 1 and 2 for us. Let's go to that one first. Therefore... Since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I'm going to deviate for just a second, so follow with me on this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 is one of my favorite scriptures because it puts my spirituality in context generationally. That first part, and I've explained this before to you and you've heard it at different times, 
That very first part, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, is a reference back to chapter 11. And chapter 11 is a list of people, some by name, some just by action, who live their life by faith. In the first part of chapter 11, Hebrews tells us, you cannot please God unless you have faith. And the pathway to living in a great relationship with God is to have faith. And then the whole rest of the chapter is is sort of a spiritual hall of fame. It's all the great hitters, all the great catchers, all the great batters in the history to that period of time for spiritual things. That is the great cloud of witnesses in verse 1 in chapter 12. All of those people that lived by faith and saw God do amazing things in their lifetime are the cloud of witnesses that now surrounds us. It literally is an image from the first century A.D. Olympic Games. When, like in a normal Olympic year, not like this year, the stadiums would be packed full of people and they would be there looking for their children, looking for their brothers and sisters, looking for their family members, looking for the representatives from their city-states because those competitions brought glory, brought recognition, brought honor to family and to the city-states. And they would cheer them on. Now the author of Hebrews takes that illustration from the first century and says this is what it's like to be a believer in Jesus. All of those that have lived ahead of us and have already gone on to heaven. So in many of our cases, this would be grandparents and great-grandparents. It might be close friends, mentors, disciples, pastors, Bible study teachers, Sunday school leaders that we knew at some point in time that we can't physically see anymore because they've passed away. They're not a part of this earthly world anymore. But according to the author of Hebrews, they're now in the stadium and they are cheering us on. And so he challenges us. He says, so you're, you're about up. Your, your competition is about to take place. Throw off the stuff that entangles you. Throw off the stuff that hinders you. Don't get ensnared in your sin and run this race with perseverance. Because it's our day. It's our moment on the track. It's our time in the pool. It's our time on the firing line. It's our time on the court. And they are cheering us on. Which is why the history of Josiah is so encouraging. Because that was his moment in history. And in Josiah's moment, he followed through and lived the principles and demonstrates and illustrates the principles of Hebrews 12. He removes the obstacles. Let me read just a couple of passages from 2 Kings 23. So it's going to get confusing. We're going to be in one passage. I tell you what, every time we're in the Old Testament, I'll be over here. Every time we're in the New Testament, I'll run back to this side. That doesn't mean that you guys are new and you guys are old. It just, we're going to separate it out that way. Just to try to keep it on track. So we're back in 2 Kings. We're back in the Old Testament. Josiah has this great renewal moment personally when he hears the word of God. 
They go to the local preacher, which happens to be a prophetess, and she explains to them how the nation has disobeyed the word of God, how the nation has abandoned not just their faith, but their personal loving God. And Josiah puts things in motion to correct that and bring this renewal that was so needed. And in verses 4 through 16, actually throughout the bulk of the whole chapter, he begins removing the obstacles. Now remember, remember he was 12 for a second. Take off, lay aside every hindrance that encumbers or entangles us. And that's what Josiah is going to do. He's going to take away the hindrances. In verses 4 and 5, the king commanded the high priest Hilkiah and the priest of the second rank and the doorkeepers to bring out of the Lord's sanctuary all the articles made for Baal, Asherah, and all the stars in the sky. In the temple, where worship of Yahweh exclusively should have been taking place, they had been worshiping false gods. And Josiah says, let's get rid of all of that. All of that's a distraction. All of that's an obstacle. We are a monotheistic faith. We believe in one God and we are aligned with only that one God. That was true for Josiah and that is true for us. And to believe or to distance or to distract our minds and our hearts with any other God, any other worship, is an obstacle and a hindrance and ultimately a sin that ensnares us. They pick up all the stuff, they bring it outside in Jerusalem, they take it to the fields of Kindron, and even the stuff that they burn, they take the ashes and they remove it even as far as Bethel. He did away with all the idolatrous priests, all the priests that had led them astray, all those who had, point, had, had been appointed by the wicked, evil kings prior to him to burn incense in the cities of Judah and all the surrounding areas of Jerusalem. He is purging false religion. Down in verse 24, you see similar, but in this case, it's not religion. They were told to pray. The people of God were to pray to God. But sometimes when we pray, we're not sure we're heard, and sometimes we would like to see something a little more dramatic. And that's where this verse comes in. Josiah eradicates all the mediums, the spiritualists, the household idols, the images, and all the abhorrent, abhorrent things that were seen in the land of Judah. Because maybe it was easier to get your fortune told than it was to worship an almighty, all-present God. And Josiah says, this is, this is contrary to the word of God. This is not the way we're supposed to live out our faith. Let's get rid of it. Remove the obstacles. Back to Hebrews 12. Lay aside every hindrance. If we want to be shaped by our faith, if we want to be shaped by the word of God, if we want to be culture shapers in our lives, we need to get rid of the encumbrances, the hindrances, the obstacles. It might be fun to run hurdles, but that is the challenge of that race, not the condition in which you run the race. And so if you're going to run hurdles or you're going to compete in steeplechase, the last thing you want to do is drape yourself or drape your horse in some long robe that's going to get tangled up along the way. 
Get rid of the entanglements. Get rid of the hindrances. And we've all got them in our lives. You don't need me to tell you what they are. You know what they are already. I am convinced every single one of us already is thinking, ah, you know, where there's this, and then I do this, and I've been listening to this, and on and on and on. If we want spiritual renewal, let's get rid of the hindrances. Let's get rid of the obstacles. Let's live like Josiah. Let's put into place Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and let's throw away those things that hinder us, encumber us, and ensnare us with sin. Let's clear the path so that we can live for God first and foremost. And then Josiah respects the faithful. It's interesting, as you read through chapter 23, you get to verse 17, and there's this kind of this odd, almost awkward moment. Let me read it to you. They've been cleaning out everything. They've been burning everything that isn't supposed to be there. They've been purging all the obstacles, all the hindrances, all the entanglements. They've been getting rid of all that. And then in verse 17, Josiah says, what is this monument I see? Now, see, I get this because I'm like Josiah. Josiah is in cleanup mode. I, I, we, were, we were in a pre, pre-service meeting and we were talking about stuff and, and um, we've been preparing for choir coming back and so they've been rearranging and cleaning out rooms that haven't been touched in a year and a half and they've been dealing with all of that and we were talking about that and there was suddenly in the pre-team meeting all these examples where we could donate or we could give it away. It's your lost and found, honestly, that we were discussing. Directly backstage in this area, we have sweaters of every size. We have cups of every make. We have sunglasses of just about every make. Um, We have a few Bibles. Now, that doesn't apply to what I'm about to say. We'll repurpose the Bibles. But they they were trying to find ways to repurpose all of that. And Josiah fashion, I looked up at the team and said, trash can. It amazes me how we just overlook the value of a trash can. I mean, even Marie Kondo says, you can throw stuff away. You don't have to store everything for all time. That's Josiah. What is this monument? We've torn down everything else. We've cleaned up everything else. What is this monument? The men of the city responded to him and said, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed, and catch this part right here, if you're looking at it in verse 17, 2 Kings 23, verse 17, and proclaimed these things that you have done to the altar at Bethel. There had been a godly man who came to Bethel and said, these things are wrong, these things need to be corrected, and this is what should happen, but nobody had done it. And Josiah shows up on the scene, and he's in the middle of removing all the obstacles. He sees the monument. What is this? You know he's thinking, does this need to be cleaned up? Does this need to be wiped out? And they said, no. That is the grave, that is the tomb, that is the marker for a man who said that one day these things would happen. And Josiah's response then is, let him rest. Don't let anyone disturb his bones. So they left his bones undisturbed with the bones of the prophet who had come from Samaria. Respect the faithful. We don't live in isolation. Go back to Hebrews 12, verse 1 for just a second. 
We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Those who have gone on before are watching and are cheering. Respect that. Understand the fact that the movement of God is a continuous movement. And there are times in history where it's more obvious than other times. And there are times in history where things took place differently than they take place now. But we can respect that. Respect the faithful. I'll be honest, this is one of the things I love about Pastor Josh. He has such a heart for every generation of worshipers. And it inspires me. It touches me. I'm, I am being honest with you. I am the choleric A-type personality that says, why are we trying to box this stuff up? Just throw it in the trash can. And Josh constantly says to me, no, there's value in that. Every week he plays in some of the most modern venues around the nation. Every week, this fall, he will be playing for thousands of college students listening to the newest and best and most inspirational worship that is available. Every week right now, he plays for several hundred and leads for several hundred college-age millennials that gather to worship in their style in the most modern context imaginable way beyond what any of you think is modern. And he comes home every Saturday night to lead us. Every generation brought together. We used to separate it out because it was easier to do it separated out. And so now we've got everybody in the room. I was filling out a form and answering some questions for architects that were um, in, in, interviewing right now about building our new facilities and new property and they wanted to know about our style of worship and as I typed into my response we are a blended worship since COVID we only have one service and everybody's together and I want it so badly to put in there and nobody's happy that's what blended worship is blended worship is the best way to make everybody mad at you matter of fact I decided this I was thinking about what it's like to be a worship pastor in the 21st century. And I decided it's a little bit like standing on in the San Andreas Fault. And you've got one foot on one tectonic plate, and you've got the other foot on the other tectonic plates. And the two tectonic plates hate one another. They rumble and they crumble and they fight and they fissure and they do all this stuff. And you're the worship pastor saying, come on, come on. No, 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 please. I, I can't go much lower than that. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> you're the worship pastor saying, it's one God for every generation. Surely there's enough grace in the body of Christ to come together and love God. So one Sunday you might come to our church and hear a song like you did last week that you haven't heard in any venue except a funeral home. <laughs> or you might come the next Sunday and you're going to hear a song that maybe they're playing in every venue in the nation right now, possibly the world, but you don't know it. And every day, Josh stands on both sides of those tectonic plates and says, we're one people 
worshiping one God, regardless of our past. But let me go on record as saying thank you so much for playing one of my songs this morning. (laughs) Even the pastor has preferences. Respect the faithful. Love every generation of the body of Christ. It never has been about, about us. It's always about God, and it's always about who we reach. In fact, as you're respecting the faithful, reach the territories. In Hebrews 12, we are challenged to run the race with endurance. That race that lies before us. Because much like the relays, whether it's swimming or track in the field or or steeplechase, just like the relays, it's been handed off. And it's been handed off to us. Whichever generation we're in, it's now our time to share the hope of Jesus Christ. And we are the only ones tasked to do that. And if we fail to do it, we default. And when you default in competition, you lose. But the sad part is, The generation that follows is the one who really loses. It's not immediately obvious, but if you look at verse 19, it said, Josiah also removed all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to anger the Lord. Josiah did the same things that he had done at Bethel. Now that sentence, quite honestly, by itself, is one of those ones you read real quick and you just keep going, hoping there's something better in the rest of the passage. But if you take the time to go to the back of your Bible or to pull it up on your app and you go to the map of the Holy Land, you will find in there a map that demonstrates the division of the nation of Israel following Solomon's reign. And at that time, it was divided out. It became a divided kingdom with Judah on one side and Israel on the other side. It became known by the cities that represented the regions. And so you have Jerusalem and Judah. You have Bethel kind of standing in between the two. And you have Samaria. You may be familiar with the conversation Jesus had with the lady at the well. When she looks at him, the Messiah, who says that the true worshipers worship in spirit and truth, and she's confused because spirit and truth doesn't make sense in the physical realm. And she says, but you Jews say we've got to go to Jerusalem. And we Samarians say, you've got to come to Samaria. Where am I supposed to worship? Because it had become a physical identification instead of a spiritual identification. 2 Kings chapter 23. The end of Josiah's life is the only time in history the nation of Israel is unified. Not politically, but spiritually. And that verse, that, that one little verse in verse 19 describes that. Josiah had cleared out the hindrances and the obstacles and he had respected the faithful in Jerusalem and then he moved to Bethel and then he moved to Samaria. And for the only time in history since David's reign, all of Israel is on one page spiritually. 
Not politically, they've still got their own kings, they've still got their own legislatures, they're not there politically, but let me just tell you, when it comes to spiritual renewal, politicians will be the last to experience it. Now they don't, we're very fortunate, all of our state representatives and our national representatives are men that I know personally and I can attest to their godliness and their commitment to the word of God. We are a very fortunate district both in the state of Texas and nationally in the United States. But politics, even they as godly men struggle to get politics online with spirituality. But for one time, one moment in history, all of Israel was in the same place spiritually. They were unified in their hearts. They were ready to run that race with endurance. And they were ready to go wherever that race took them. They were willing to do whatever it took to reach every territory with the hope that is found in Christ alone. Josiah knew that God was the only hope for all people, in all places, in all time. And now, it's our turn. This is our moment. And how will we finish in this moment? How will we run this race? Will we throw off the hindrances? Will we throw off the encumbrances? Will we throw off the things that entangle us and do whatever it takes to live obedient to God and in relationship with God so that those who follow us and we watch from heaven will take the race and run with faithfulness? Statistically, 82% of our graduating seniors will leave home this fall and by spring have left church permanently. Now, you might be able to write off 82% of a generation, but I'm going to tell you honestly, candidly, and maybe a little strongly, your pastor is not willing to write off any generation because maybe learning how to do things their way is hard. And I don't understand it. And so I will become their friends and I will tell them of the love of Jesus no matter what it costs me. Because that's what revival is. It is prioritizing the message that God has for us in every generation. And in that moment, God reinvigorates our worship personally and corporately. One last little phrase to look at. In Josiah's time, in 2 Kings, they come back to worship after all these other things have taken place. And this is the phrase in verse 22. No such Passover had ever been observed from the time of the judges who judged Israel through the entire time of the kings of Israel and Judah. That, the Passover was their primary worship vehicle. No such Passover had ever been observed. I don't know what that looks like in my lifetime. I can tell you some great worship experiences I've had. I can tell you, and I'm gonna bring our worship team back up as I'm wrapping up. I can tell you times I've had with them. I can tell you times I've had in stadiums with 85,000 men during the height of the Promise Keepers movement. 
I could tell you revivals that I've led and I've participated in. I could tell you vacation Bible school openings where God moved. But what does it mean to experience worship in such a way that nobody ever remembers it being like that? If we clear out the obstacles and if we join together in the pursuit of reaching every territory for Christ and while maintaining appropriate respect for the faithful, then maybe, just maybe, in our lifetime, we might be able to experience this. I don't think we've ever been there. The last major significant revival or spiritual awakening in the United States was the Jesus Movement. Some of you remember it because you criticized your children. Some of you are a product of it. Some of you have never read about it. Prior to that, the last major movement of God was in the mid-1800s. Prior to that, it was in the mid-1700s. And the very reason, the very reason the First Amendment exists in our Constitution is because our nation was birthed out of spiritual renewal and said we will protect the rights the freedom of religion and expression of worship. What would it be like to participate and to be a part of a worship service that is unlike any other worship service in known history? I don't know, but I'm willing to keep praying. I'm willing to keep seeking I'm willing to keep running. I'm willing to throw off the sin that entangles me. I'm willing to throw throw off the things that encumber me and hinder me. I'm willing to run until the end. Let me die on the track. And go back to Hebrews 12 one more time. Let me die looking at Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus the pioneer, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me always keep my eyes on Jesus.